Here we're starting here on the top of Pei Beremun Aleph by the two dots. Hamalei Rav Huna, the Rabbo break. Rav Huna said to Rabbo, his son, Rabbo Bar Rav Huna, My time, Olosh Kichat, Kamei Rav Chista. Why don't you spend more time with Rav Chista? Rav Chista was more of a peer with Rav Huna. The Mechadadin Shmate, that he has a strong learning background that knows his stuff well, and you could pick up something from him. It would be Kadai for you to spend more time with him. Hamalei, Mayizel Gabei. Why should I go to learn by him? When I go and learn by him, he starts to ask me questions about uh, general topics. Nothing to do with Torah. Man, the beta tells me one who goes into the bathroom, that a person who goes to the bathroom shouldn't sit down quickly. And he shouldn't press too hard or try too hard. To defecate the high karkashto atlat shineyotif. Because the rectum sits on these three teeth-like glands. Dilma mishtamto shineyotif karkashto. Maybe they will slip or tear if the person sits down too quickly or he attempts to defecate too hard. Va'ati de sakono. And he'll bring himself to danger. So his father responds to him. Very interesting answer. I'm like, who asik bechaye debriato? Ba'atamar demile da'alma? He says, you say he, he's dealing with issues of life and death, the ability to understand how to deal with the world in general, and you're telling me he's talking about useless or stam items? Hoshkein zilgabeg. Take off, you should be there right now, learning from him. Now these are important matters. It's not always the diktuke alacha. There's also just general conduct that are important and guidance to help you to act appropriately and to know how to keep yourself healthy. That's an important part of learning Torah, is that you also be healthy. So if he has a choice now on Shabbat, between a tzror and a cheres to use for his toilet paper now, is a choice between a pebble and a shard of pottery. Ravuna says he should use the pebble, and not use the cheres. Rav Chista Amar, Rav Chista says, Mikaneach becheres, he should use the shard, not use the pebble. The question here is a question that Rav Natan Baruchia really dealt with yesterday in Rav Yochanan's statement, which is, we have an option here. Tzror, muksa. It's a rock. So it's muksa. I have kli cheres, which is a kli. As a shame, kli is not muksa, but we know that kli cheres has some deleterious effects. It's sharp. It can cause damage. It has the problem of kshafim. There are other mitigating factors in kli cheres. So which do I choose? Which of the two evils do I choose here? Do I choose muksa and take the option of the tzror, or do I choose kli cheres with all that's embedded in using kli cheres, but then at least I'm not in violation of muksa. Rabbi Noten, but Oshia yesterday read into Rabbi Yochanan's statement that that's exactly the choice you make. We make the choice to take the pebble instead of the kli cheres. Over here we have a machlok between Rav Huna and Rav Chista in this manner. So here we have a b'raita that says, if he has a choice between the pebble and the shard of pottery, then he should use the pottery, the shard of pottery, and not use the pebble. That's a strong kasha against Rav Huna that undermines Rav Huna's premise. So Targama Rafram Bar Papa Kamei Rav Chista. So Rafram Bar Papa explained in front of Rav Chista, Alibi Rav Huna defense 
of Rav Huna's position, we're talking about a specific type of shard of pottery that is not subject to some of the worries that we had before, which is that we're talking about the handle of the Kli Cheres, something that is not necessarily sharp, it's rounded. So then we don't have the fears that we talked about with Kli Cheres before, whether it's the fact that it's Vesakana, that it could cut the individual, whether it's the Asherat Nimin, severing the hairs on the body because of the smoothness of this part of the klicheres, we don't worry about it. Obviously, the last issue of kshafim might still be there, but leaving that aside, here is a way to answer why, by the breita, it favors the klicheres, and why Rav Huna and other in circumstances might favor the tzror, the pebble. So, how you the fanav, tzror vasavim. Now, he has a choice between a pebble, and let's call it grass, to use as his toilet paper. Now Rashi asks about this asabim, what exactly is the issue with using it? Rashi says, lachim, they're moist, et basar, so there's a danger involved. So similar to the glicheres, which you're opting between muksa and danger, so to over here, it's a, ch- a choice between here, the tzror, again the pebble, and asabim, which means something that's dangerous. In that sense, the question would have been, I, Oh, so very good. So exactly what you just asked is what Rashi says afterwards. Then he brings from Rabotai, and he says, Mifashim, Mishum Tlisha, that they are problem here of detaching the grass. Ve'en yodea, mahu. I don't know what the, he's there talking about, Rashi says. Diva sabim mechubarim, mikam andashori. If they're attached to the ground, who would be ever be mat there? You cannot be tolesh on Shabbat. Before, when we said the covered of Riyot, that you could violate something, even though we said, Lota se Shabbat we meant a violation of a din de Rabbanan. Nobody would be matir a din do raito for covered of Riyot. So who says you can be tolesh the grass? Uchmedumeani. So he says, I think this is what they must mean. That they are attached to the ground and is utilizing them while they are still attached to the ground. And that's the question over here. What do we opt for? Do we opt for tzror, which is muksa? Or do we opt for the asabim that are attached to the ground, which run a risk? Some sort of risk here, the possibility that you could take them out, even though maybe the dovershenu mitkavein, but there's a, a good likelihood or a high likelihood that you could run into that problem, as well as the issue of whether the asabim are really not muksa themselves, because you can't use them or utilize them on Shabbat. One of them said, use the pebble, don't use the grass. Use the grass and don't use the pebble. Someone who uses it as toilet paper, something that is flammable, that causes those teeth that we talked about before, those teeth-like glands that hold the rectum together, they slip out when you use something that is flammable. Mara says, okay, that should be a clear answer to our question over here, because we're talking about a pebble, that's not flammable. When you're talking about the grass, that is flammable. Mara says, Depends in what form you're getting the grass. The grass, when it's dried out, you're right, it's flammable, and that would be something that everybody would agree is unacceptable, and you would opt for the tzror. The question here is that we're dealing with moist grass. We're dealing with fresh grass. Again, whether it's cut or not cut, depending on which Pshat and Rashi that you subscribe to. But you're talking about moist grass that's not flammable. So therefore, that's not a question on our case here. Someone who needs to relieve themselves and doesn't relieve themselves. 
of Chista Veravina. What is the result of such behavior? This is something that we bumped into earlier on in the sect, also in Brachot. Chanamar Ruach Ra'ah Sholetid Bo. One says that Ruach Ra'ah here, not in the traditional sense of Ruach Ra, a bad spirit, but rather bad breath. Chanamar Ruach Zuama Sholetid Bo. And others say that he becomes malodorous. It's not simply bad breath, it's that there's a bad odor that emanates from him. Tanya Kamantamar Ruach Zuama Sholetid Bo. There's a brighter that supports the position of the one who says that it makes him malodorous. The Tanya, an Yitzrach Kavav, someone who needs to relieve themselves. And instead of doing so, Ochel eats, and that, Domel Tanur, she Sikua Gab Afaro. It's equivalent of someone who then tries to cook in an oven on top of the existing ashes, without clearing it out, and then restarting the fire, reheating the oven, he leaves the existing ashes there, and then just tries to heat on top of it. So there's no value in terms of the heat because the heat is absorbed by the ashes, doesn't allow it to really heat up properly. So same thing here, eating on top of someone who needs to relieve themselves, you're just piling on top of what's already there and it's no value to it. And this is the beginning of being malodorous, of having a bad odor. So here, as opposed to before where he needs to go to defecate, and he opts not to. Over here, he needs to defecate, but he's unable to do. He's unable to bring himself. He's constipated. Amrav Chista, again, this is something we saw in Brachot. The same suggestions were made there. Yamod v'yeshev, yamod v'yeshev. He should change his position. He should stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. He should move around, thinking that maybe that will free up the ability to defecate. That he should move to the sides. Meaning, as Rashi says, Meaning that you should change locations or corners within the bathroom. That way, you get up, you change your position, you try again. So now he says, stay in place. Just use a small pebble to stimulate as a suppository to stimulate defecating. That we saw earlier in the beginning of the sugya, the idea of using the small pebble, again, to stimulate whether you can do the same on Shabbat like you do on Chol. And we said before you had to do a shinoi on Shabbat when you did this, then on Chol. This idea that the pebbles were not only used as toilet paper, but they were also used to stimulate one who was constipated. Rabbanan Amrei, Rabbanan say the easiest solution is, Yisiyach Tato. Forget about it. So Amrlei Ravacha Braderov or Ravashi Boshkein Dechi Masak Date Lomafte. Wait a minute. If he forgets about it, he's not going to take care of the situation. He's going to remain constipated. It's going to be a problem. It's going to remain a problem for him because he's constipated and now he's not thinking about it. Samrlei Yesiach Tato Midvarim Acherim. I didn't mean forget about that. I mean forget about everything else. He's got to focus. If he focuses, that is what will solve the problem. Amar Rav Irmiya Midifti. I saw this Arab merchant, the Kam Vyotiv, the Kam Vyotiv, he was constipated, so he stood up, sat down, stood up, sat down, of the Shafach Kigdeira, until he loosened his bowels and he was flowing like a pot, boiling pot. And here we have some etiquette again, something that we had bumped into before in Brachot. Person is entering into a Sudat Keva. On their day, a Sudat Keva was the equivalent of an appointment in Hadassah, meant that you were going to be there all day. 
So if you're going to be there all day, you have to, proper etiquette is to relieve yourself beforehand. To get up in the middle of the meal, to go to the bathroom was unacceptable during these long, intricate, and many courses. And it was inappropriate to leave the meal in the middle. So you must relieve yourself beforehand. So how do you do that? So when you're entering into such a sudat keva, you have to walk ten times, four amot. Meaning that you stop each time. You go walk ten times, four amot, four amot, sit down, four amot, sit down. You keep trying that ten times and make sure that you have relieved yourself before you enter into the meal. And some say that the better option is that you should go four times, so ten amot. So the question of which is more efficacious walking a longer distance, or getting up and down. One option has you getting up and down more often, one of them has you walking longer distances. Then he relieves himself, and then he enters into the meal, and he sits in his place peacefully, and that will ensure that he doesn't have to get up in the middle of the meal. Alright, that ends that sugya. Now the next Mishnah really is going to lead us into the next parak. It's really a machloket rishonim, how we get into this next parak. And this Mishnah might be the lead into that, this next parak. Now this continues what we've seen until now, which is it takes an object, a material, and says, what are the minimum standards for said that material? And that is cheres. When it comes to shards or pottery, how much do you need in order to be chayav, to carry out what's considered to be a significant amount? So, It's enough to be a spacer between the boards. Whenever they stack up boards, you can see this whenever they're doing construction. If they bring a large truck full of boards, they don't stack the boards right on top of each other. They put spacers between the boards so that they don't warp and so that they sit evenly on top of each other. Those spacers, those little spacers that are made out of klicheres, that is what we're speaking about here. That's a significant piece. That's what Rabbi Yudah says. Rabbi Meomer, Meomer says, Enough to stoke the fire or to remove a coal from the fire, enough that it distances your hand from the fire. It has to be sufficient in order that you can draw a revit log of water in it. Even though I don't have a proof to this, I do have a mention of what I'm about to say. And that's on the Pasuk in Yishayahu, Perak Lamed, Pasuk Yudalid, over there, the parak is describing what's going to happen to Bnei Israel if they continue to be choteh, they continue in their bad ways. Hashem says that it's just going to build up so much that eventually you're just going to explode like a piece of pottery. The way that a potter, when he's not happy with what he has or didn't work out, he smashes the pottery. So that's the same way that you're going to explode. And those shards of pottery that come from that explosion from that breaking of the licheres, that amongst those pieces that are left from the smashing of the pottery, you will not even find a shard of pottery from that bursting, to take fire out of the hearth. Lachtot can be used in different ways. Lachtot can be to stoke, but over here, lachtot here is ish miyakud, is to remove fire or a coal from the hearth itself, from the fire itself. So he says, look, you see that? What is the smallest piece of pottery that you would have thought of that's significant? That is stoking the fire or using it in a fire. And that's why Hashem says that after you're smashed, you won't even find a piece 
of any significance. What's that significance? That it would be used within the fire. So that's my zeicher the davar that I'm bringing from Yishayahu. Now it sounds like a very good proof. Forget about his zeicher the davar, except for the fact that he omitted the latter half of the pasuk, which is Amalei Rabbi Yossi, Misham Rayo. What's the proof from there? The next line in the pasuk is and to draw water from the cistern. So wait a minute. That's why it's only a zecher ledavar, not raya ledavar, because the puzzle does continue and say to draw water from the cistern. So that also shows that drawing water with the glicheres is a utilization that is of significance. Now the Gemara starts after the parentheses. Mistavra, let's understand here. Shura derbiosi nafish. If I was just looking in the Mishnah, and I said to you, in terms of size here, which is bigger between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Yossi, we would assume that Rabbi Yossi's shiur is bigger. If I asked you if you need a shard of pottery to simply stoke or move a single coal, or you need a piece of pottery to draw a revealed log of water, you would definitely say that the piece that is bigger is the one that's used to draw the water. That would be my conclusion. Umikra. But from the pasuk that we just quoted from Yeshayahu, it seems just the opposite. Shira the Rabbi Meir Nofish. Sounds like Rabbi Meir's size is bigger. Because in the pasuk it says, where potter will smash the pottery, and then after the pottery is the shattered pieces are there, you won't find in it not even a shard to stoke the fire, and not even something to draw water. Now when you say not even and not even, what you do is you move to smaller and smaller items doesn't make sense to say, well, you won't even find a small piece, and then say, well, you won't even find a bigger piece. Of course, if you can't find a small piece, you're not going to find the big piece. So that means that when the puzzle is continuing, it's diminishing in size. That means that the first part of the puzzle that says you won't find anything to stoke the fire with or remove the coal from the hearth, that will be the bigger piece. And then you won't even find enough to draw water with. That would be even a smaller piece. If you think the Rabbi Yossi is bigger, you curse them with a smaller piece. And then you curse them with a bigger piece? It doesn't make sense. You couldn't find the small one. Ah, you certainly won't find that big one. No, you keep cursing them. The curse gets greater, as you say, the smaller and smaller piece that they can't find. So now we have a stira. We're not sure which way the direction is going in terms of sizing. So Marbaye, Matnita Nami Lachtotesh Mikidag Dola. Wait a minute. You have to understand what we're looking at size-wise. You have to understand the way I explained the Mishnah, and I did this intentionally, is that when we said it in the Mishnah, I said, "Oh, that was to move a single coal." That made it sound like the shard was very small. But the way the Pasuk describes it, it's enough to remove a coal from a large hearth. That's a huge fire. That you can't get near at all. You need a large poker or something that distances you from the fire to engage with anything in there because it's a large fire. Even if you want to get a single coal, you need a lot more in terms of a shard of pottery than to engage with that fire to keep your distance. So that's what the Pasuk means, and that's how we'll have to explain what's in the Mishnah. That when Rabbi Meir says, that's not just to move a single coal. That's not just to small piece. We're talking about a large enough piece to deal with a large fire. That's much bigger. And then we'll be consistent between the Pasuk and the Mishnah that Rabbi Meir's shear is bigger than Rabbi Yossi's shear. Rabbi Yossi Meir Misham Raya. Shapir Gamalei Rabbi Yossi the Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Yossi has a good claim against Rabbi Meir. He says, look, follow through on the Pasuk. The Pasuk says that there is something of significance that's smaller than your shear. And that's how the, the continuum of the Pasuk. Rabbi Meir, lo mi bayi kamar. The Pasuk is reading not only this, but this. 
Lo mi bay mide de chashiv leinche de lo dishtakach le. Not only will you not find something that is significant to people, ela afil mide de lo chashiv leinche lo dishtakach le. But even something that's insignificant, you won't find. So the level or the threshold of significance ends when we're talking about stoking fires or removing things from the fire. After that, it's not classified as significant. So why does the Pesach mention it? That's exactly what the Pesach is indicating. Not only will you not find something that's significant for man, you won't even find something that's insignificant. What's insignificant? A little shard that you can draw a little water with. You won't even find that. But that's not an indication of significance. That doesn't tell you that that shard of pottery is significant. That's telling you that that's something insignificant. And that's how Rabbi Meir read the Pasuk, said it's not a problem for him, and that's why he quoted only the first part of the Pasuk, and left out the latter half of the Pasuk. That, we end the Perak, and we begin the new Perak. The new Perak takes us away from the Gemara Shabbat a little bit, for the next number of Mishnayot. It's going to take us on a trip through Shas, a number of items that have nothing to do with Shabbat, and they're clearly not related. It's not even a question of correlation. There's nothing that has to do with Shabbat at all. So the question is, what is it doing here? Rashi and Tosafot have different approaches to this. The Gemara is about to quote something we're going to see in the Mishnah, and then bring a proof to it from a Pasuk. Tosafot says, it's very easy, I'll tell you what the connection is here. The paradigm that was laid out in the previous parak, the last Mishnah in the previous parak, had a paradigm in it. It said, I have information, and I can then bring a quasi-proof to that from a Pasuk. And that's the format of all these Mishnayot. Format of all these Mishnayot is, I have a lock or I have a, I have a din, and then I'm going to bring in a pasuk to bolster that position. Rashi says that eventually we're going to end up in this same format, we're going to end up running to a Mishnah that talks about Mila. How do we know that you're Mila? How do you know that you're allowed to wash the Mila even on Shabbat, meaning that there's danger on the third day, and therefore one is allowed to boil hot water for a sakanat nefashot of a baby on the third day. So eventually, in this format of Mishnayot, in this parak, we're going to get there. So Rashi says, that's the real reason for the parak, is that Mishnah about Milo. That's what has to do with Shabbat. Well, once it did that, the format that it has there, it brought in all these other Mishnayot. Right, so exactly. That's why Tosvot's rejection of Rashi's approach is that, if that's true, it should have brought that Mishnah first. It should have brought the Mishnah about Milo and Shabbat first. And then brought the others as a tangential connection and bring them in. Why would you bring in the tangent first and then get the Shabbat afterwards? So that's why he thinks it's connected to the previous Mishnah. The other thing he says is that there is a parak later on, which we know, Rabbi Lezer de Mila, that deals with Brit Mila. That was the whole reason for the parak is to get Brit Mila in here, put it in that parak. Why would you have a whole parak by itself? So the, probably, the answer is probably somewhat of probably both which is that it's true that the paradigm set by the last Mishnah in the previous parak brought them to bring in these other Mishnayot, which led them into that Mishnah of Shabbat. And that Mishnah of Shabbat is also in a similar format. The reason they would bring in these other Mishnayot with a similar format is because it does eventually end up in something that deals with Shabbat. So it's probably a mixture of both what Rashi and Tosvot say over here. So now we begin. I'm Rabbi Kiva. How do I know that Avodah Zarah when you carry it, gives one tumah masah nida, the same way that nida has tumat masah, shinemar. So you quote a pasuk from the same parak in Ishayahu, which bolsters Tosafot's explanation over here, the same parak in Perak Lamed in Ishayahu. Here it's in the latter half of that parak, which is a nechama. The first half of the parak talks about how things are going to go bad. The latter half says that B'nai Israel eventually will realize their mistake and come back. 
And in their coming back, they will cast away their silver idols or their silver adorned idols and their golden adorned idols. And it says over there, what are you going to do with them? Tizreim kemodava, say tomarlo. You will cast them away, scatter them, kemodava. Now, dava, we'll leave as undefined for one second. Say tomarlo, you're going to tell them, good riddance, get out of here. You're going to chase all the Zabodazara out because you're going to know what the truth is. You're going to want Hashem back. So now the word Dava is utilized in the Torah in association with a Nida and a Zava. So the connection is Tizreim Kamot Dava. You're going to scatter, you're going to disperse the Avodazara to Dava. Dava meaning like the Nida. So why would you scatter or shoot them out like the Nida? Some of the translations of Dava were not literally the Nida, but the Dam Nida. The Dam of the Nida, the Dam of the cloth of the Nida that people we saw in last parak was Maus. People throw that out. They don't keep it. Maybe it's referring not necessarily to the Nida herself, but to the menstrual blood. That also could be true. Although in their day, Nida comes from the word Nidui. Nidui means to excommunicate, to be pushed outside. And that was true in their day, that a Nida was considered to be on the fringe of society at that time. She was distanced. She had her own tent both because of the issues of Tumah, and when we did the Masech Nida, we pointed out that many of the Rishonim believed that there was a Choli involved there, and that it was a contagious Choli, Nida, and therefore there was reason to distance oneself from a Isha Nida, or the gaze of an Isha Nida. But either way, Dava has to do with Nida and distancing. So that's the Pasuk, and using the allegory is saying, you'll throw away and distance the Avodah like the Dava, whether it's the menstrual blood or the Nida herself. But you see this parallel drawn between Avodah and the Nida. So just like a Nida is mitama, we know from the Psukim by Zava, is mitama, but even by Masa. Now Masa can function in two ways. Masa can be either you carry the object, or the object carries you. It can be true like by the Zav or Zava. You can carry a Zava, or the Zava or Zav can carry you. And either way, there's two mother passes with through Masa. So now this Avodah Zarah should have that same din of Tumah of Masa, that if you carry it without touching it, I mean, obviously if you touch it, then there's nothing to talk about. That's Nogeya. So Masa has to be a case where you're carrying it without coming into direct contact with it. So if you do that, how do we know that you're also Tamei? So Rabbi Kiva says, because I see this, Connection between Nida and Avodah Zarah. Ma Nida metama b'masa, Avodah Zarah metama b'masa. Right, it's not Hatam. Now the Gemara quotes a Mishnah from Avodah Zarah. The Mishnah of Avodah Zarah deals with exactly our case, quotes all of our Gemara over here as well. And that's why, again, these Mishnayot really belong in the other Mishnayot. They're brought down here because, again, this paradigm or this similar structure. Mi shaya beito samuch Zarah. Someone who had a house adjacent to Avodah Zarah. And then it falls down. He cannot rebuild it. He cannot rebuild it because he is giving benefit to the Avodah Zarah. When he rebuilds his house, they had a common wall between him and the Avodah Zarah. He puts up his wall, then he's also building a wall that will benefit the Avodah Zarah. So what should he do? He should pull back into his property for a moat. And then he builds his wall back. Well, well, then, as Tosua points out over here, he does benefit of Odazar as well. They just are the beneficiaries of the additional Faramot that he just left behind. Because he's going to build his wall in. They now have this extra space over there. The Gemara here does not deal with it. The Gemara of Odazar asks it explicitly. Well, isn't he benefiting them? The Gemara there gives two answers. 
either he'll make that into a latrine, meaning that he'll use that as his night latrine, or the other possibility is that he, he fills it in with the equivalent of what we call barbed wire. That he fills it in with gizme vihiti, which is thorns, uh, prickly bushes. He puts in things there that make it unusable. He makes the space unusable, but then he just pulls his wall back so that it will not be beneficiaries of his building the wall. Shalom, shalom, zarah. In the first case, the wall belonged to him. The wall, the full wall was built in his property, and the wall belonged to him. But as long as the wall was erect, the Avodah Zarah benefited from it. If he rebuilds the wall, they will benefit again. This case is a case where they have a shared wall. The wall is shared literally. They each own half the wall, and two amot of the wall are in the Avodah Zarah's property, and two amot of the wall are in his property. So it's literally sitting on joint property, and it's a joint wall. So nidon mechsa mechsa. So first of all, when we look at the ground, we split it up half and half. Two amot goes to the Avodah Zarah, two amot goes to him. Therefore, when he backs four amot into his property, he can count two amot from where the wall was standing. Where the wall was standing counts, two of those amot count towards his four amot, because he owns those two amot, they really belong to him. That's number one. Avanav itzav afarav. Now, what, what about the materials of the wall? The wall crumbled, it fell over. Now they jointly own that which is there, all the joint materials that were in this wall. What does he do with it? These, these items have a dinner of Odezara. Again, the Gemara of Odezara says that's a case where they actually worship the wall or the stones themselves because otherwise there's no issue. Meaning that the wall itself, just because it's part of the bait of Odezara, does not automatically attain an Easter Hana necessarily, it's Mechubar the Karka. There are reasons why it would not attain Avodah Zarah. So here's a case where they actually bowed down to the wall or the stones. That was the Avodah Zarah. And not only that, but they bowed down to each stone, the Yerushalmi says, because otherwise you have a problem of what happens to an Avodah Zarah that falls apart by itself. It's a question the Gemara Machlok between Rav and Shmuel in the Gemara and Avodah Zarah. A Avodah Zarah that self-destructs, is that Mevatel the Avodah Zarah or not? So in order to avoid that problem, Yerushalmi says that they boil down to every stone, to every eight, meaning that everything here is a Zarah to solve this problem. So now it falls to you. Mitamim kesheretz. All the leftovers on the wall are mitamei kesheretz. Shinamar. Because the Pasuk says in Dvarim, shakech tishakatsenu, that when it comes to Avodah Zarah, that you should treat it like a sheretz, a sheketz, which is something that's tamei. You distance yourself from it. You keep your distance, you don't allow it in your possession. So Rekiva Mer, Kidnida. Rekiva says it's like a Nida, Shinamar. Again, what he quotes in our Mishnah, Tizreim Kamodava. Ma Nida Mitama Bemasa. Afavodazara Mitama Bemasa. So we have Machloke between Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim as to the Tuma of Avodazara. Is it Tumat Sheretz? Or is it Tumat Nida? Amar Rabba. Rabba, as an aside, darshins the Pasuk. And says, what does that word Tizreim mean? Damakra, Nachrinu Minach Kizar. Tizreim means from the shore, she's saying here, not to scatter, but rather Zar, to be a stranger. Estrange them from you, alienate them from you, Kizar, like a stranger. Say to Marlo, tell him, get out of here. He can ace Alto Marlo. Don't come back in here. Meaning that that's the idea of Tizreim. Tizreim means to scatter them and to disperse them. But he is using the word Zar to explain it. So he's just explaining what the word Tizreim means. Ve'amar And now we have another statement from Rabbah trying to deal with the machlok between Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim. We're going to have Rabbah's approach. And then afterwards Rabbah Lazar is going to come and give a different approach. So we have two Amoraim trying to explain this machlok between 
Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim. So Rabbah's approach is, Bimasah, Tukuliyama lo demitama. Everybody agrees. That means the Chachamim and Rabbi Akiva agree that Avodah Zerah is mitama bimasah. Taikash lenida. The pasuk that Rabbi Akiva brings is definitive. It says, Taikash between Avodah Zerah and Dava and the Nida. Kiplige be'even misma. What they argue about is a particular din in Nida called Evan misma. Evan misma, I'll just quickly do it here again. Rashi and Tosafot here disagree with it as well as in Avodah Zerah. Or actually, last time we saw it was in uh, the Gemara Nida, that Rashi and Tosafot define Evan Misma differently. Rashi says Evan Misma is a case where you have stilts that are holding up a very heavy rock or something on top of it. Nida, Ozav, Yoshvimala. And the Nida or the Zav are sitting on top of it. And there are Kilim underneath it. So that, according to Rashi, is what we call Evan Misma. They put this heavy stone on top of these stilts, and now they're sitting on top of it. There are kelim, there are other objects, utensils that are underneath. The nida, or the zav, zava, are not weighing on those kelim, because the rock is being held up by stilts. Nevertheless, the tumah penetrates down, and it's as if they're sitting on top of those kelim. That's the way Rashi defines Evan Misma. Tosafot says, no. The case of Evan Misma is a case where the Evan is sitting directly on top of the Kelim. It's just that the weight of it is so big or so heavy that when the Nida or the Zavah goes on top of it, it makes no difference. It adds no pressure. It adds nothing to the weight that is being pressed upon that which is below. You wouldn't know that they were on top because they are de minimis to the weight of the entire object. They are so small in comparison to the weight of the entire object. And therefore, they're not meaningful in the weight calculation. So that's what an Evid Misma is. Tosafot also points out it can go the other way around, which is that if the Nida or the Zavai have their hand underneath such a rock, and then the Tahor walks on top of it, are they considered to be as if they're holding up the object on top? And Tosafot says that the Tumah penetrates the Evid Misma in that way. Again, it's not related to our Gemara, but this Evid Misma, whether you say the way Rashi does, the way Tosafot does, what the Evid Misma is, it, it gives off Tumah, in a way that Masah wouldn't even do. Masah says that I have to actually carry the object. I carry an object, or the object carries me. One of the two. On the other hand, Evan Misma says that there's some sort of detachment between me and the object. Rashi says because it's on stilts. Tosavot says because of the weight of the rock. There's some sort of detachment. So even though it's technically carrying me, I'm either above it or I'm carrying it. One of the two. Nevertheless, there's no, no connection between us because of the weight or the distance or the stilts that are here. Nevertheless, by Nidan, Zavai is Tameh. The question here, does that apply to Avodah Zarah? Rabbi Akiva Savar ki Nida. Akiva says, listen, Avodah Zarah is exactly like a Nida. Ma Nida metama be'even misma. Avodah Zarah metama be'even misma. It's the whole kid in Kabuto. You want Nida, Nida across the board. That means not only for Tumat Masa, it means for Tumat Evan Misma. The whole thing. Tumah like a nida. Rabbanim Savrei Kesheretz. Wait, we have an offsetting pasuk from Dvarim that says that there's only too much Sheretz here. What does the offset of too much Sheretz do here? My Sheretz lo mitameh be'evin misma. Havod Ezerah lo mitameh be'evin misma. Just like a Sheretz doesn't have evin misma, so too the Havod Ezerah doesn't have evin misma. Uwe Rabbi Akiva, damhai hilchotai itkish the Sheretz. Wait a minute. So according to Rabbi Akiva, what does he do with the Pasuk in Tvarim? He needs to do something with it. The Chachamim addressed both Sukim. They said it's like an Ida, it's Mitamah B'Masah. 
It's like a sheretz in that it doesn't have tumat even misma. So then Rabbi Akiva addressed one pasuk, nida. It's like nida across the board. But what about this pasuk of sheretz? He says that is lemishamshin. That is for things that are servicing the avodah Things that are used in the worship of the avodah They only have tumah like a sheretz. Now Rashi says over here lemishamshim sheina kelim hamishamshim etamim lo b'masav lo b'emimisma. Rashi says the Havamina would have been that they're just like Avodah Zarah and they have a din like a Nida. Along comes Sheretz to say that they don't have Tumat Masa, they don't have Tevin Misma, they don't have anything. They just have the Tumat Sheretz. But Rashi starts out with a premise that you would have thought the Mishabshim are equal to Avodah Zarah and Sheretz comes and drops it down. Tosafot, the Ri, says just the opposite. He says the Havamina would have been that the Mishabshim have no Tumat whatsoever. Why would you ever have thought that the Mishabshim have a din of Tumat Nida. The comparison to Nida is Avodazar itself that is compared to the Nida. You would have no Avamina to say that the Mishamshim should have a din like Tumat Nida. And all the Sheretz comes to do is tell you that they have Tumat Sheretz, that they have Tumat all. So it's just what the starting point is. According to Rashi, the starting point is that you would have been equal to Avodazara. Sheretz takes it down. According to Safot, it works the other way around. The Mishabshim would have no Tumah whatsoever. Sheretz elevates them to the level that they have Tumah to Sheretz. But then the Gemara says, okay, Ula Rabbanan, the Mayilkotayit Kish the Nida. So let's think about this. The Rabbanan say the reason that they connected between Avodazar and Nida is to tell you that it has Tumat the Masa, Tumat Masa. Well, I have a much simpler way to deal with that. We have other Tumot that have Tumat Masa and do not have Tumat Evan Misma. Save yourself a lot of trouble. No Tumat Sheretz. No tumat nida. Just use this tumah, and then you'd have your solution, which is luksha rachmano nivela. Nivela is exactly what you're looking for. It has tumah, tumat masa, no tumat evin misma, and that's exactly what you're looking for. So compare the avodah to a nivela. Why bother comparing it to a nida and then trying to take it out of nida by comparing it to sheretz? Just compare it to a nivela, and then you won't have any problem. Kama says, "Ain ochanami." You could have done that. Eloma nida ein aleivarim. There's an additional reason why we compare it to Nida. Not just to learn Tumat Masa, but also to teach you that Nida only applies to a woman when she's still a whole. That if for some reason an Aver was severed from a woman while she was in Nida, that Aver does not take with it Tumat Nida. It has Tumat Aver Minachai, but it does not have Tumat Nida. Tumat Nida is only true when the woman or the aver, the part, is still a part of the woman. But once it's broken away or taken away from the woman, then she's no longer has Tumat Nida. So just like by the Nida, when an aver is severed from the woman, plus Shalom, something, an aver is taken or it's severed from the woman, that aver will not continue to have Tumat Nida. It'll have Tumat Aver Minachai, but not Tumat Nida. So so too over here, the Avodah Zarah, when it's in component parts, if the component parts are taken apart, it comes apart, Rashi says, Kigom, Avodah Zarah Shokhuliot, Lego, Avodah Zarah of Lego. It's like a erector set that they put together. So it's component parts, and you can take it apart. So if you take it apart, Avra, Avra, Mino, Enimitameh Klaom, Mishumar Avodah Zarah. Tumat Avodah Zarah only applies then if it's component parts that make up the Avodah Zarah, it only applies when it's all together. You break it up, you break it into its component parts, they're no longer as Tumah anymore, just like the Nida. So the Chachamim say, you're right. And had it only had to do with the union of Tumah, in Ochanam, we would have compared it to Nevela. But the Torah wanted to teach us one other thing, which is that it's like a Nida in this fact that, Evarim. 
this issue that when it breaks apart into the component parts, it doesn't continue its tuma. Its tuma breaks away, just like by nida. Tuma breaks away when the Eva breaks away, so too by the Avodah So that's what I said before, the Yushami says, Tosafot brings the Yushami, that they worshipped every single stone separately, so that it would not be that it was a whole, and that it broke apart. That, that each stone or each uh, piece of wood there was separate Avodah Zarah. So you don't have ex- exactly... Partly your question, or more the question of the Gemara Vodah Zarah, that if it fell apart by itself, it should be Patel. So the answer is no, because they worshipped each component part here. And therefore, stone wasn't a separate part, was a piece of Avodah Zarah. It was the Avodah Zarah. Right, so now, the Gemara continues and says, Velaha, Dubai Rami Chama Barguya. We have this question posed, Avodah Zarah, Yeshtalei He has this question, does Avodah Zarah have component parts or not? Tishalei Maha. You could answer it from here to the Rabbanan, that according to the Rabbanan, there is no component parts to Avodah Zarah. So the Gemara says, Rav Chama Baguria, According to Rabbanan, Rav Chama Baguria didn't have a question. His question was according to Rabbi Akiva Shita. According to Rabbi Akiva, who doesn't have this comparison to Nida to teach us about Avarim, what's the din of Avarim according to Rabbi Akiva? There, we don't necessarily have an answer to it because Rabbi Kiva's comparison to Nida is solely for the purpose of Tumah. It hasn't have anything to do with the issue of Evarim. And so Rabbi Chama Raguriya's question is posed according to Rabbi Kiva's Shita, not according to the Shita of the Rachachamim. That's Rabbo's explanation of their Machloket. Rabbi Lazar, Amar, no, that this is the Machloket between Rabbi Kiva and the Rachachamim. Be'evin misma, tukuli amalo Everybody agrees they don't argue. Delo mitama. Everybody says that it's not mitama. Now, there's a question in the Girsa over here, and the question in the Girsa brings up a Rashbam who wants to change the remainder of the Gemara a little bit. We don't have it. You can see it here in the, on the side in the Mesorah Tashas that he says, the Lomotama da'it kish sheretz, because it's connected to sheretz. So what the suggestion at this point is, the reason that Emet Misma is not mitama here is because of the position of the Chachamim in Rabbah. Rabbah said before, what do the Chachamim do? They take Nida, they take Sheretz, so they take a balance between them and they come out with the Tumah. So that's the same thing here, except according to Rabbah that's everybody's approach. Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim agree that that's the approach here. Evan Misma right, is not included because you have Sheretz. Sheretz eliminates it. Nida includes Masa, it seems. Kibliga ibn Masa. Oh, they argue about Masa. Rabbi Kiva Savar, Kinida. Ma Nida mitama be Masa. Just like a nidaz mitama masa, so to avodah zarah mitama masa. Rabbanan savrei kisheretz. My sheretz lo mitama masa. Avodah zarah lo mitama masa. Just like a sheretz is not mitama masa, so to avodah zarah will not be mitama masa. The obvious question you have to ask on the chachamim is: Then why compare it to a nida at all? Just compare it to a sheretz, and what do you need nida here at all? The problematic part of the Gemara is the next piece, which is. Rabbi Kiva, the Mayukata eat kish the sheretz. According to Rabbi Kiva, why are you comparing it to a sheretz? According to the girsa that the Rajbam had, it's clear that this part of the Gemara doesn't make sense. Because that girsa says, why is Evan Misma not included? Evan Misma is not included because Nida and sheretz. So Rabbi Kiva used sheretz to eliminate Evan Misma. So why is the Gemara now asking the Mayukata eat kish the sheretz? So according to the Rajbam, this should be eliminated from the Gemara. The way we have it in our Gersa, which does not have that as the reason, the Tosafot says, we don't know why Rabbi Akiva eliminated Evan Misma. We don't know if it's because of Sheretz, or maybe he has some other Rebuy in the Pasuk. We don't know where Rabbi Akiva's source is from. 
And that's why the Gemara asks, Why did he compare it to Sheretz? He learned out, no, we have a we don't know where he learned that from. Could have been Sheretz, but we don't know that's the case. So then what does he do with Sheretz? So that's why Tosafot argues to leave the Girsi in, because it says that it's not necessarily true that the reason that Evan Misma is eliminated here is because of Sheretz. If you have it in the Girsa, then you have a problem, and then this latter half of the Gemara makes no sense. Again, the same way we said before is for the things that are used in service of Avodah Zarah. So they have too much Sheretz. There's a stronger problem here, which is what do the Rabbanon have it connected to Nida for at all? Ma Nida in Avodazarayim. We now we made sense of it. Everything's really like Sheretz according to the Chachamim. What's Nida doing here at all? That's just telling you this din that component parts don't maintain the Tumah of the Avodazarah. That's why it's compared to Nida. But for nothing else, everything else is exactly like a Sheretz. Now the question really is on Rabbi Akiva. Before we had the question of Chachamim, why compare it to Nida and Sheretz? Why not just use Nevela? Over here, Rabbi Kiva's in that position. What does Rabbi Kiva say? Tumat Avodah No Evan Misma. Yesh Tumat Masa. So why bother with Nida? Just go straight to this Tumat that has that, which is Tumat Nevela. And that's the question we might ask now. Rabbi Kiva, the Ma'ahil Chotayit Kishle Nida. Why bother bringing it together with Nida? Why? Lamasa. Look, Shayla Nevela. Just connect it to Nevela instead. Where it says, Enochanami. In this case, Rabbi Kiva has the same din as the Chachamim out of Nida. You could have compared it to Nevela. Why did the Torah not compare it to Nevela instead to Nida? To teach us that additional din, like the Chachamim, that component parts don't have Tumah. Now you can answer the question. Ben the Rabbanan, Ben the Rabbi Kiyah, Dein You're right. You have an answer here. Whether according to Rabbi or the only reason Anida was brought in here at all was to teach you that component parts don't have Tumah. We have an answer for Rav Chama Berguria. The Rav Chama First of all, it's clear that Rav Berguria's question is learning it like Akiva, And he's learning according to Rabbi Akiva. His question is... Only in Rabbi Kiva Shita Aliva the Rabba. And that's the answer of the Gemara. Ain't Okanami. If you learn the Machloket like Rabbi Lazar over here, there's nothing to talk about. There's no question for Rabbi Chama Bergumria. So Rabbi Chama Bergumria's question is posed based on Rabba's interpretation of the Machloket and in Rabbi Kiva Shita of that Machloket where we don't know what he says about Ivarim and that's where his question is posed. Ain't so just to summarize what we saw so far, we had a Mishnah that tells us that Nida is compared to Avodah Zarah to teach us that there is some sort of connection between them in Tumah. That that exists, and that Pesach and exists. Nobody can ignore that. We have a position of the Chachamim that says that Tumat Avodah Zarah is like Sheretz, and Rabbi Kibu says it's like Tumat Nida. So how do they have to both have to deal with each other's Sukim? And we have two approaches that we have. Rabbah's approach and Rabbah's approach. Rabbah's approach is to say that Rabbi Kiva says Nida all the way and has Tumah exactly like Nida and the Chachamim are just a step below him. They say, you know, has Tumat Nida, just missing Evan Misma. That's the only thing that you're missing, but any Chanami has that Tumat Nida. That's what Sheretz does. Sheretz pulls it down one level. Rabbi Lazar, on the other hand, says that everybody agrees that it's not totally like Nida. Everybody agrees Evan Misma is out of the picture here. The only question is, is it like Nida for Masa? Or is it like Sheretz completely? If the Chachamim say completely like Sheretz, or Kiva says, like Nida, that has Masa. 
in all these cases, both in the first case and the second case, what's the point of telling us about Tumat Masat through Nida? You tell us through Nivela. The answer is that Nida teaches an additional din. That when you have component parts, those component parts don't maintain the Tumat when they're broken up. Okay, we'll stop over here.